Okay, so Eric Berg then in summary says, use a couple tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. I'm not opposed to that. If you wanna use that, um, I, I think that's, that's fine. It's a neutral point per se. Uh, I think that him saying that you should not snack between meals, uh, I do believe you should not eat when you're not hungry. Now I know it's a very social thing to get together and eat meals and maybe eat more than you need. That is a problem. Hello, I'm Dr. Nick Delgado and I'd like to reply to a video, the best way for a vegan to lose belly fat. Dr. Eric Berg, he's a chiropractor, has millions of subscribers and he's putting out a lot of information. Let's see what part we can comment on. Hey guys, Dr. Berg here. Now last week I did a video on how to eat bacon to burn off belly fat. This week we're gonna reverse the flow and teach you how to burn fat if you are a vegan, all right? We're gonna use the same principle, but we're gonna show you different foods, all right? Now, I asked you a question last time if you watched the video, what is the hormone that determines whether you burn fat or burn sugar? Do you know? There is a hormone that will determine this, and I'm gonna use a reference called Guyton's Medical Physiology, the Bible of Medical Physiology, using all the medical schools and also pre-med um, classes. So on page 926, here it says, actually 927, it says, all aspects of fat metabolism are greatly enhanced in the absence of insulin. So all fat burning is greatly enhanced when you don't have insulin, okay? Now over here, the role of insulin in switching between carbohydrate. Okay, so Dr. Eric Berg states that referencing Guyton's medical physiology there's a section, insulin, glucagon, and diabetes mellitus. And he's also talking about the endocrine system and how the body regulates energy through glucose metabolism and blood sugar levels. Uh, there's a number of references that he's making. And if, if you notice, um, I read these textbooks very thoroughly, line by line, circling notes, Every book I read, every scientific book, I even back check the references and then I cross-reference it to other newer, up-to-date references. And then I keep a log of the older original references because I was part of the Pritikin Longevity Center where I worked in the research department and also uh, in corresponding with my good friend, uh, Dr. Michael Greger, who has a book how Not to Die, and he's referenced over 20 chronic diseases that relate to the selection of foods that you make. He has a team of, of over 12 individuals that review through the medical literature over 2,500 medical journals per month. So I'm gonna make a comment about what Dr. Berg is, is, is stating here, and he's stating very specifically, let's, let's get that down. Carbohydrate and lipid metabolism, or that's fat metabolism. It says right here, when the glucose concentration is low, when sugar is low, insulin secretion is suppressed and fat is utilized almost exclusively for energy, right? And there's many, many references in here that talk about when you have insulin lack, when you're lacking insulin, your body is forced to burn fat. So insulin is the main hormone that we need to keep suppressed if we have any chance or hope of getting into 
fat burning, okay? Okay, so he's making a blanket statement that insulin is the principal hormone that determines whether or not you burn fat or not. And he read a reference, just an excerpt from the textbook, uh, Guyton's Medical Physiology, and he states that when you have low glucose levels, that the body will defer uh, via insulin to burn principally, and what he says is only fat. He's leaving out a few facts. First off, uh, we know that some of this work starts back with Penny, and I looked it up, uh, Dr. Penny, I'm not sure if he's a doctor actually, and it's spelled P-H-I-N-N-E-Y, and they put people on a 500 calorie diet, uh, like essentially a protein fast, and that was what a lot of people point to is these keto diets. Uh, how in 2011 these people were put on this keto diet and they lost an average of 25 pounds. But the first question I put forth to you was that fat weight. The reality is that these uh, protein fasting diets, the individuals, once they burn up their glycogen storage, um, they're using a massive amount of water to deal with the toxic byproduct of fat metabolism. You can look it up in any reference, but fat burns very inefficiently. Uh, and requires a lot of water to digest it. Furthermore, uh, the body cannot, once it uses up its glu glucose or glycogen storage, and glycogen is stored in the liver and in the muscles, after a period of time, it could be 60 minutes depending on the workload or the type of exercise, uh, it could be maybe as long as two hours uh, if you carbohydrate loaded before an exercise, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, the, the reality is that the body will not be able to burn fat efficiently, especially under an anaerobic load. In other words, if you're running fast or you're going at a faster pace, the body will still prefer glucose. And the only way you can get glucose is not from fat metabolism. It's going to get it from uh, the storage, uh, essentially the breakdown of amino acids. Where do the amino acids come from? They come from muscle tissue, your own body muscle tissue uh, and potentially reserves of, of organ to an extent if you go too long on a fasting diet. So what they found was here, I'm, I'm gonna just uh, comment um, on these individuals dropping weight and uh, it, it essentially that the weight, uh, when the obese people were uh, dropping this weight, that they, their glycogen stores dropped and under that condition, for example, a cyclist did not uh, adapt to the ketosis to the point that they performed almost as well and eventually they did adapt and due to a training effect. So what I mean by a training effect is consistent regular exercise week after week, month after month. So there's a few different factors here that we're talking about to efficiently be able to burn fat. So remember just by restricting a certain food category such as carbohydrate and then depending on uh, the remaining fat and protein in the body, uh, it's not going to burn the fat as efficiently because uh, Dr. Berg is saying it's all about insulin. So let's go further. So when insulin is high, you're going to stim uh, stimulate sugar. When insulin is uh, low, you're going to stimulate fat burning. All right. So that's that. Now, you probably heard of um, the glycemic index, right? Foods high. Okay. So what he's saying is when insulin is high, you're going to be uh, leaning towards uh, excess glucose and essentially 
your body won't be able to burn fat as, as efficiently. When the insulin is low, your body can convert to burning more fat. Uh, I've been on a plant-based whole foods diet without added oils for 40 years. My insulin level stays as low as two. If you look up the, the literature about insulin, my sustained day in and day out insulin levels are remarkably low. And that's because I eat a lot of starch, complex carbohydrate, whole foods without adding simple sugar carbohydrates, without adding uh, processed separated oils, meats, cheese, eggs, or dairy product. So your body will become very efficient. It'll stabilize insulin levels because it turns out that the very same uh, whole unprocessed starch resistant carbohydrates, fruits, vegetables, potatoes, beans, uh, also have a rich amount of polyphenols. And those polyphenols are a special phytochemical that stabilizes insulin, keeps insulin levels rather low and controlled. So if you are vegan and you're wanting to reduce belly fat, I'm gonna, if you stay tuned here, I'm gonna explain how you can do that. Or if you're on an animal-based diet and you're trying to make a shift uh, to a healthier way of eating, uh, we'll continue. But now he's gonna talk about glycemic index. Foods high in sugar, you have to avoid those but there's also something else called the insulin index, okay? And I'm gonna show you that next. All right, so now we have all the glycemic index foods, which are foods that turn into sugar fast, which trigger insulin, but there are other things that trigger insulin too. And you can see those in the insulin index, okay, which I have right here. So I have from low to high, all the foods that don't really trigger insulin and the ones that do. What I did is I summarized all of the foods that are acceptable that are low on the list. So what's interesting are the fattier foods do not trigger insulin and they're not on the glycemic index. So our goal is to lower insulin. Forget about calories. Let's just talk about hormones. We need to keep insulin as low as possible if you're gonna have any chance of losing weight. So these are the foods that are acceptable to consume. Olives, very low on the list, 3%. That's really low. Avocados, very low on the list. Chia seeds, nearly zero effect. Pecans, you can do macadamia nuts. Even peanuts are low on the list. Walnuts are low on the list, but pecans are the lowest. Then we have coconut oil and coconut meat, very low on the list. Uh, mushrooms, low on the list. Seeds, uh, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds are really, really good. Peanut butter, tahini butter, that's a sesame seed butter. You can get that at the grocery store. All brand, now I don't really recommend cereals, but all brand is low on the list. It's a fiber. Okay, so he, he is stating certain foods help you to sustain or maintain low insulin levels. He mentioned mushrooms, which have only about 20 calories per cup. Mushrooms are amazing fat loss uh, food because it's low in calories, it has some reasonable fiber, it has some phytochemicals, it's known to produce nutrients that help to combat uh, the risk of, of cancer and uh, problems with the immune system. The interesting thing though is he's asserting, Eric Berg is asserting that by eating avocado, pecans, uh, olives, uh, coconut and coconut oil, uh, these are the fattiest foods you can imagine and although those foods have fiber, and I'm not saying you shouldn't eat those foods, you can eat them in small quantities when you're wanting to reduce body fat, but every vegan I've ever seen eating large amounts of those particular foods, even if they have quote stabilized insulin levels, they gain weight and they gain body fat weight, which is not what you want to gain. 
It's not even a reflection of whether there's more water loss due to fat metabolism or protein metabolism. Um, those foods is what I tell people to do to consume more of when they're trying to gain weight. And yet he's saying how to lose fat, um, uh, belly fat on a, on a vegan diet. Uh, I'm a little confused so far because he's placing all the blame on the very important hormone insulin. And I'll explain more detail about the hormone insulin based on some very extensive work and reading through medical textbooks, medical literature, and also from uh, P.O. Astran, uh, the textbook of work physiology. And you're gonna have to understand the physiological basis of exercise, and we're gonna get to that here in a moment. So that being said, uh, let's go further and see what his list uh, includes. Chickpeas as hummus. Kidney beans are low on the list. Other beans are very high on the list. In fact, baked beans is nearly uh, like it's 100%. It's way, way out of the range. Well, he's saying chickpeas and kidney beans are good. They control blood sugar insulin levels. That's true. They're high in fiber. They're very good for you. They're very low in fat. But then he's saying that baked beans are problematic. Well, aren't baked beans usually loaded with uh, sugar and at times uh, oil? Um, at least I've seen baked beans with their recipes and the canned baked beans and at uh, family get-togethers, you know, where you, you visit on holidays, uh, they'll, they'll use baked beans. So I can see why that would be a problem and completely different than normal beans. Oatmeal, steel cut, is like a moderate, so you could probably do that occasionally. Tofu is low on the list, but What's interesting is highly concentrated protein, like whey protein, which is not vegan, uh, and especially soy protein isolates. You want to stay away from that because that's very high on the list. I'll talk about in that in the next section. So he's saying uh, steel-cut oatmeal is good. It's high in fiber. I would agree. Just don't slather it with a bunch of butter. And he mentioned tofu. Uh, probably, I think he's asserting it should be used in moderation. Uh, for some reason, he mentioned the uh, whey proteins isolates. So let, let's go a little bit further. I, I don't agree with using dairy whey proteins. They're highly inflammatory and dangerous to the body and to those particularly with arth arthritis or autoimmune diseases. Vegetables. We can eat all the vegetables except corn um, and anything too sweet. Good for you. He's saying you can eat all the vegetables you want except corn. All right, so uh, vegetables clearly are wonderful, particularly if they're prepared steamed or without added oils and fats. Uh, the vegetables uh, baked or in a crock pot or in a soup or in a salad, wonderful. We're total agreement there, Dr. Eric Berg. Uh, however, he is going on to say that corn is a problem. Is it because the GMO factor? There, there may be some corns available that are organic that you can get non-GMO, but let's go further. Um, and anything too sweet. Uh, pea protein is fine. And ghee, even though that... Okay, so he's saying uh, anything too sweet. So I guess, is he asserting that corn is too sweet or be careful? Uh, the sweet taste is what humans seek in starch-resistant complex carbohydrates. And when you chew them, they break down at two calories per minute. That's essential. Always distinguish between whole starch-resistant complex carbohydrates Foods as grown compared to sugar carbohydrates like in Coca-Cola and so forth, it absorbs at 16 calories per minute. So always remember, that's the true danger with insulin. Insulin goes up when there's a rush of sugar into the system, uh, whereas any starch-resistant whole complex carbohydrate is when it's chewed down and you chew, uh, the more you chew, the sweeter the food starts to taste because it's starting to break down the saliva in the mouth. 
uh, the glucose, but by the time it enters your general circulation with the fiber holding and uh, allowing it to absorb very slowly, that's exactly the way the body is designed to absorb about two calories per minute, which is perfect for the brain, the muscles, and the central nervous system, and for exercise activity. Let's go further. Even though that comes from an animal, sometimes that's acceptable in a vegan uh, diet. Okay, he's saying that the ghee that comes from butter is sometimes acceptable in an animal diet, and that most vegans uh, would refrain from ghee, but if they do use it, um, just keep in mind, it's complete fat and it's very high in cholesterol. It is not a safe food to add to reduce belly fat. And I would assert that one of the reasons that the Indian culture who uses so much ghee in their cooking has an incidence at all, and they wouldn't have if they don't use so many added oils and ghee and so forth, of high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, is they overuse the amount of oils and fats that desensitize insulin. Now, I want you to hear this clearly. It's oils and fats that desensitize the insulin and this has been published according to Dr. James Anderson, a world-renowned endocrinologist back in the 1976 and 78. Uh, we've known about this from Dr. Kelly M. West, who testified before the U.S. Senate hearings in 1966. Uh, we've known now more currently from the studies done out of the Pritikin Longevity Center, where I work with Nathan Pritikin, and we've uh, reprinted literally uh, thousands of individuals, uh, putting them on a high-fiber, high-complex uh, carbohydrate low oil intake diet, but there's nuts and seeds, small amounts of avocados and so forth, olives, but a very high fiber, high nutrient dense diet. So let's go for that. So these are the foods that you would want to consume. Now, these are the foods that we want to avoid because they do trigger insulin and some of these uh, glucose, okay? So fruits, we want to avoid all fruits. Grains, that includes breads, pasta, cereal, crackers, biscuits, waffles pancakes, juices of all kind, especially the orange juice, beans, unless it's the kidney bean or the chickpea, okay? And lentils we want to avoid. That's, that's a little bit higher in the list, unfortunately. Uh, berries we want to avoid. Potatoes and rice we want to avoid. Okay, so he's telling you to avoid all fruit. He's telling you to avoid berries. He's telling you to avoid rice. He, he, he's uh, saying something about... Uh, most legumes except for uh, kidney and um, what was the other one, um, red bean, uh, kidney. Uh, so I, I'm concerned because he's basing this on what's called the glycemic index. And Dr. Jenkins, who published all this work about testing individual foods and how high the insulin levels went up and the blood sugar levels respond, responded, uh, when Dr. Anderson looked at that original study, he said, okay, well, wait a minute. Everyone leading up to two weeks to testing each individual food was eating a very high-fat standard American diet because that's what most Americans do when they walk into a laboratory to be tested unless they're from an isolated group of oil-free, vegan-type, health-fanatic athletes and so forth. So these individuals uh, had so much fat in their blood that when they tested these individual foods such as fruit, or um, he's mentioning um, potatoes and things that elevate, uh, that we should avoid uh, because they're gonna elevate blood sugar levels, lentils and so forth. That wasn't the case at all. We found that the blood sugar levels were perfect, the insulin levels were stable. So we know that most of this science is kind of faulty in the nutrition arena and we need to correct that understanding to burn belly fat. Even brown rice is quite high. Uh, all sugars, of course, and corn. 
Okay, so I'd agree avoid sugars. He's saying, but avoid corn and avoid uh, uh, brown rice, which are high in fiber and good for you. Um, if you have any allergic reaction to grains, I, I would restrict those. We could test those through delayed food allergy white blood right. cell analysis. And then we want to also avoid uh, any concentrated protein like the soy protein isolates. Now you could probably do, um, if you're doing tofu, it has to be organic or else it's GMO, okay? Okay, so he's saying use organic um, soy, otherwise it's GMO. Okay, that's fine. Avoid GMOs, I agree, wherever you can. And avoid juices, fruit juices. Well, fruit juices have polyphenols, but they are concentrated. And they could elevate blood sugar a little bit. Uh, they could elevate uh, insulin levels. I would agree it's better to get the whole fruit instead of the fruit juice. Um, and if you do juice, juice greens and eat your fruit. That, that is a better choice. Uh, overall, though, um, a small amount of, of orange juice or apple juice, fresh, squeezed, organic. I mean, drinking that once in a while is probably fine. Uh, certainly better than drinking sodas and Cokes and artificial flavors and sweeteners and so forth. So these are the foods you want to consume. These are the foods you want to avoid. Now, there's a couple other principles. The other thing that triggers insulin index is um, gastrointestinal hormones. So every time you eat, you virtually trigger insulin to some degree. So what got you in this position in the first place is just maybe too much snacking, eating the wrong foods, and just the stimulation of insulin, whether you're a diabetic or not. Many people that have belly fat are, it's called insulin resistance, which basically they're pre-diabetic, which they have a messed up insulin and they need to actually fix it. So what we want to do, we got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What we want to avoid are the snacks in between. Why? Because eating a meal triggers insulin. So we want to start off with three meals a day. Now, even though the insulin is spiked, if you don't need to have anything between the meal, we'll have a chance for your switch to start switching more to fat burning, okay? And especially at night. Now, if you're not hungry in the morning, then don't eat. So therefore, we have two meals, lunch and dinner. And what'll happen, when you're not eating, you can burn fat longer because the meal that we want to have your body consume is your own belly as the meal, as the food. And we want it to switch over to fat burning and then eating. Now, here's the problem. If you can't go from one meal to the next without starving, without needing a snack, what we're gonna do is we're gonna add more fat, maybe some olives to the meal, the next meal. We keep adding fat to the next meal until we can go longer and longer. The fat is not necessarily going to help you burn fat, but it's low on the insulin scale and it allows, the, it allows you not to stimulate insulin. It allows you to go longer. Coconut oil, avocado, pecans. We want to add a little more fat to the meal for the purpose of going longer so you can do a little intermittent fasting, which also greatly improves insulin resistance. Okay? All right. So he, he's saying that essentially if you avoid uh, breakfast, and you go longer periods between meals without snacking, you just eat uh, lunch and dinner. Uh, if you can do it without starving and feeling awful, which most people feel awful when they go too long without eating, and their blood sugar levels drop, they develop hypoglycemia. It's all pretty well described in Guyton's Medical Physiology and the textbook of Work Physiology by P.O. Astrand. Uh, you know, it's interesting that he has that belief that just by keeping the add extra fat that you can go longer between meals, but adding that extra fat adds a lot of extra calories. It's highly caloric dense. So 
Are you caught in the middle? Is there nothing you can do? Or maybe you can allow the body with the following few simple principles to burn fat very, very effectively with what I call the training effect and by selectively choosing the foods that are very high in water, which has no calories, and the foods that are very high in fiber, which has no calories, and very little amount of caloric density, then between meals you can eat larger amounts of these particular foods, even snack on these foods, sustain your blood sugar, and use that little bit of glucose during the exercise, during what's called a training effect, to burn more and more fat effectively over the course of seven months. I love to put people on a seven-month program. It's the most effective way to see over time without just stepping on the weight scale every day and, and being confused by, oh, did I lose water weight? Did I gain water weight? Is there more food in my tummy and my intestines or not? That's all very confusing. You have to have a little bit of patience, yet this system will help you to reduce the fat and keep it off for a lifetime like I have and I've guided tens of thousands of people to do exactly the same. If you're going to do what Dr. Uh, or Eric Berg, the chiropractor, states, then you're going to be confused, you're going to be hungry, you're not going to know what to do, and just by eating less food over time, you'll probably lose weight, but will you keep it off for a lifetime? Most studies show no. So let's go further. Versus a low calorie grazing all day starvation. That will not work because we have never have a chance to induce the, the fat burning effect, okay? So we want to eat these foods, avoid these foods, have less frequent meal, no snacking, try to get a little bit more sleep. If we add exercise, that would be cool. And then also add apple cider vinegar, two tablespoons in a glass of water with each meal, okay? So those actions, I think, will help you more than anything else. So go ahead, apply this, and give me some comments below. I will see you in the next video. Okay, so Eric Berg then in summary says, use a couple tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. I'm not opposed to that. If you want to use that, um, I, I think that's, that's fine. It's a neutral point per se. Uh, I think that him saying that you should not snack between meals uh, I do believe you should not eat when you're not hungry. Now, I know it's a very social thing to get together and eat meals and maybe eat more than you need. That is a problem. Here's the best way. You want to hear the best way to burn belly fat, whether you're vegan or paleo or keto or whatever it is. Let's, let's start with the basic premise. Your body needs a certain amount of glucose at the rate of two calories per minute. How do you get that? You can draw from some of the storage of your glycogen. You can draw from your circulating blood sugar levels. I absolutely implore you, do not drop below 50 grams of carbohydrate per day. If you did it once in a day, it would be no big deal. Some people do what's called carbohydrate loading. They drop to under 50 grams and then um, they deplete all their glycogen stores and then the next day they load up on simple carbohydrates. No! load up on starch carbohydrates. Then you don't have to worry. They do carbohydrate loading, the blood sugar levels go up, the insulin goes up, they can perform longer during their exercise if they're an athlete. But you see, if you're always on a high starch, low caloric density, high fiber, high water content, you don't have to skip meals, you don't have to fast, you don't have to feel miserable, and you get all the fiber you need. So how does this work? Breakfast, is the longest period that you've gone without eating. You're going to be naturally hungry. And unless you're severely overweight, you may not be hungry for a while until you start approaching closer to your ideal body weight. But let's just assume you wake up and it's 
five or six in the morning, seven, and you don't depend on coffee, you have natural energy, you woke up without an alarm, you got enough sleep, got to bed reasonable period, got eight, nine hours sleep at night, you wake up, your hormone levels are at their highest level in the morning, your testosterone's at its highest, the growth hormone level, um, you're, you've meditated, you've exercised, and you need a little bit of glucose during your exercise. So fuel your muscles because at higher intensity, you burn more calories and you burn more, build more muscle at anaerobic activities. Not aerobic, but anaerobic activities. Kind of the border between aerobic and anaerobic. But a training effect occurs day after day as you exercise at least 30 minutes a day. Ideally, if, if you can't go at high intensity, then stretch it out to 60 minutes or an hour. But the reality is, eating some fruit, some vegetables throughout the day, big vegetable um, breakfast. Uh, that breakfast can be soaked with some a little bit of nuts and seeds, and um, those are high in essential fatty acids. I would mix in blueberries and blackberries. Um, watermelon is great because it's low in calorie. You still need the essential fatty acids, so sprinkle in a little bit of the soaked nuts and seeds, uh, and that's good. Uh, so if you eat a very high fiber, high fruit, high vegetable based diet, then for lunch have a huge, huge uh, vegetable soup without added oils because you don't want the added calories and have a very large salad like, like the serving bowl. I mean, this is just what I transferred over from the serving bowl. It's got mushrooms, cucumbers, lettuce, tomato. Um, uh, it's got uh, sprouted, um, let's see, uh, sprouted uh, peas, mm, very good. Got, I always throw in a lot of mushrooms because they're so low in calories. But over a seven month period, I guarantee if you use a whole big salad with a salad dressing that's without oil, I'll use a vinaigrette, balsamic, I'll use um, ones that have nice herbs in them, and it tastes so good. And I look forward to it and it fills my stomach up and I don't need to eat for a while. Now, how do I know when to eat? Just because it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner? That's based on the old four foods group from people eating too many calories and, and they usually only need two meals, sometimes three meals a day. Listen, when you're eating more low calorie, high fiber rich foods, you're, you're gonna get hungry in about two hours, maybe even an hour and eat a little bit only enough to take that edge off. Anticipate your hunger. When you feel a little bit weak or empty, nibble on fruits, vegetables, big soups and salads, they fill you up. So they don't have a lot of calories, but they're filling up your stomach, your intestines, and you feel satisfied. So then uh, after lunch, you maybe snack a little bit in between, you eat dinner. Your insulin levels, I've measured literally hundreds of people's insulin levels on this kind of a program. Their blood sugars, their insulin levels are stable, they're excellent and they're not going to have this condition that, doc, uh, that Berg is talking about, about causing fat um, increase levels, because by the time you have dinner, let's say you go out to an Asian pho restaurant, you have vegetable pho, maybe you give the noodles to the kids because the noodles have a little bit more calories, the kids need a little more calories and you're trying to lose, so you have a lot more of the vegetables, you put in the bean sprouts and uh, those little green mint herbs and it's so good, and then mixed uh, onions and various vegetables in there and you eat that big pho vegetable soup that has no added oil into it. Well, that's gonna really satisfy, you're gonna feel good. Uh, maybe for dessert, you have some fruit, some mango, some coconuts, scoop out a little bit of coconut with the coconut water, not coconut oil, the coconut meat. 
So over the course of every day, you're going to average about 1,000 calories, 1,200 calories a day by eating 10 to 20 servings of fruit and vegetables a day with big soups and salads. And you're going to eat some legumes with smaller amounts because they have a little bit more caloric density. You're going to eat some potatoes instead of yams. Once you reach your ideal weight, you can eat more yams. They have more calories. Um, and you're going to stabilize with two calories per minute of glucose. You're going to trickle, continue to burn the deficit of calories from your body fat. So long as you also, if you want to speed the process, do that daily intense, rapid movement, little or no rest between exercise because at the aerobic anaerobic threshold, you'll, you'll be converting and burning a little more glucose, but just below that anaerobic level, you're going to be burning the most fat. Over a month, a month, a month, the body, instead of burning 80, 90% glucose during your exercise, during the 30 minutes, after about three, four, five months, it'll start burning 80 to 90% fat. You'll start noticing that fat just whittling off your body. Stick on this program, have the right mental attitude, and keep in mind, uh, the textbook Work Physiology, P.O. Astron talks about the complexity of fat burning, that when a person is stressed, they may produce epinephrine, and some of these stress hormones, if they can't produce enough cortisol, the epinephrine and stress hormones will cause some uh, free fatty acid mobilization that releases in the general circulation. Uh, when you look at how in Guyton Medical Physiology, the body, when it absorbs fat, it goes directly into the lacteals through the digestive tract, and that pours right through the immune system, the lymphatic system, and it gums up and kind of slows your whole immune system. Then that fat, undigested, pours into the bloodstream, the general circulation. And since fat is not the preferred source of energy of most people, unless you're highly trained, a trained effect as an athlete, then your, your body will store that fat from the circulation directly into the adipose cells, your fat cells. In the fat cells, the body has to convert it from fat back into triglycerides to be burned. So I've discovered that, according to Nathan Pritikin and some of my other uh, teachers, that when you sustain even levels of glucose, insulin stable, you burn triglycerides and fat every day, and as you exercise and you eat healthy and you get proper sleep, your hormone levels balance out, and you'll look and feel great. Within seven months, you can drop somewhere towards 28 pounds of body fat or more. Um, Franco Colombo, uh, who is good friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I saw him here uh, in March at the Arnold Classic 2019. And when you read his book, uh, Coming On Strong, uh, one of his main things he talks about to get completely ripped and muscular is to do what kind of exercise? Run. He does weightlifting to build muscle heavy weights to build muscle. I mean, he's one of the strongest bodybuilders in the history, you know, the, uh, being a little guy. But when he wants to burn and, and, and burn calories, he's doing rapid jump ropes. He's, he's running. He's talking about getting in great shape, coming on strong. And, and you know, you're going to look at a person who uh, is trying to compete uh, without using diuretics and some harmful ways to leach water out of the body. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Again, here, here's the page right here, right here. See him running on the beach? And here, here we go. Here, here's exactly what he says. And I, by the way, running or exercise where there's little or, little or no rest between uh, your exercise <laughs> is very important. So he says, um, 
I prefer to take it easy with the weights and run instead. Running is the best trimming exercise that I or anybody else knows of, far better than sit-ups or side bends or any of those exercises. I'm not talking about jogging, which has great cardiovascular benefit, but is it is not nearly as efficient as running for trunk exercise because the knees don't come up as high. Running is how we deal with love handles, also called snake bite kits. The universal male fat packs just above the hips. You may see fat people running, trying to run, but you'll never see a fat runner. One of the world's uh, very best bodybuilders, Robbie Robertson of California, is an ex-sprinter. I'm capable of jogging for miles uh, without any problem. But give me a good 10-block dash anytime. You get it over and done with, and you know my fondness for conserving time. Running, folks. And when you exercise, train hard and fast. Little or no rest between exercise. Lift a weight that you can move. I like to do 50 repetitions between uh, per exercise. And then without rest, I go to my next exercise, my next. I'm breathing heavily the whole time. And I'm at that anaerobic, aerobic threshold, really pushing my heart rate 150, 160. When I broke the world record for strength and endurance, my heart rate was going at 200 beats per minute the entire hour that I curled and pressed. And I had marvelous ripped abs. I wasn't trying to get ripped abs. It was the result of my training and my high fiber, high carbohydrate, low fat diet. Hey Berg, you wanna challenge me to work out? I'll be 65 this year. I'll out train you or anyone watching at my age because I understand fat metabolism depends on an aerobic training effect, not on force feeding more fat and taking in more unnecessary calories Radioactive tracers show that fat goes right to the fat storage shelves. One of the most scientific bodybuilders in history, Mike Menser, heavy duty, mind and body. When you read what he says about how much protein you need and you do a YouTube search about Mike Menser, who uh, genetically was really gifted as having a marvelous, uh, a marvelous body, just fabulous, intense strength and power, uh, he advocated uh, doing uh, only having five grams of added protein per day to a standard diet and he uh, felt that you could build a Mr. Universe physique gaining five pounds per year over a five-year period that'd be 25 pounds of added muscle to added to a basic skeletal structure of 25 pounds in a 150 pound person you'd weigh 175 pounds and look like Mr. Universe. Now granted all of these bodybuilders used, in those days, anabolic steroids. There was no law against it in those days, no ruling against it in their competitions. Now, athletes have to figure out ways to beat testing and not uh, show that they're using these anabolic steroids. Uh, certainly, uh, higher testosterone levels, if you can manage the estrogen levels, will build more muscle. Higher growth hormone will build muscle and insulin. The three most anabolic um, substances are testosterone, insulin, and growth hormone. Insulin by itself is not all that anabolic, but insulin with growth hormone, highly anabolic. The more you exercise in intensity, the more your body releases growth hormone. Uh, there are ways to simulate a, a, a good hormonal balance with athletic ability and get ripped abs without having to take uh, synthetically high chemically engineered uh, steroids. If you're going to use hormones, bioidentical hormones, with a doctor who understands how to manage. But always start out with the adrenals, the thyroid, work towards growth hormone, testosterone, and the balance of DHA and other uh, anabolic hormones because it's the catabolic hormones like cortisol 
that if controlled properly and sustained, you don't have to depend on adrenaline, you won't have these drops in energy and hypoglycemia, and you'll feel wonderful. I hope I didn't go into too much detail. If you'd like this, please share it. Stay tuned for my next segment. Dr. Nick here says, be strong, be well, and be happy. Thank you. Hey guys, I gotta tell you, the new coaching program has come out, and we're excited about the coaching program because the coaching program is at nickdelgado.com. We'd love to help to guide you, to coach you on your health journey. And now you can apply for the special coaching program. And you can also get our special book, Immune Rejuvenation. Just leave your name and email, and you're going to get one of the best books written on this whole subject. We are excited to know, Anna, and I got to tell you that, you know, the whole idea of immune rejuvenation has come.